Welcome to Socially Responsible Business with host Sharon Schneider. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to succeed financially while using your business as a force for good and spend differently without spending more. Now, here is Sharon. Welcome to Socially Responsible Business. I'm your host, Sharon Schneider, an entrepreneur, social impact advisor, author, and speaker. I want to start today with a shout out to Dylan, who told me he's been listening to the show and sharing episodes with his father as they are full of good ideas for their family business. So thanks for listening, Dylan. And hi, Dad. I hope you find something useful and practical in this episode about culture and building a culture around social responsibility. If you're looking for more practical and actionable ideas for your own life, visit me at www.theintegratedlife.com to pick up your copy of my book, Handbook for an Integrated Life, and also find recaps and links to resources from all the episodes of this show. So if this is your first time tuning in, the core belief behind socially responsible business is that you can actually be more successful, more profitable, more influential, as well as happier and more personally fulfilled when you make choices for your business that are not just good for you, the entrepreneur or business owner, but good for your employees, your vendors, your customers, your community, and the environment. Social responsibility is not a cost center, it's a profit booster. That's our core belief. So today we're going to talk about creating a culture of social impact and infusing that throughout your company. I like to say that in a socially responsible company, impact is everyone's job. It can't just be the job of the community relations or marketing team. It can't be the job only of the CEO or their direct reports. It better not be just the job of the speech writers or the PR team. If you're going to succeed, it has to be the job of the administrative assistants, the maintenance team, the hiring managers, the middle managers, the chief cook and bottle washer. So how do you accomplish that? By building an impact culture. Okay, but what is culture? One way to define culture is the water you're swimming in, ever present, but if you're the fish, hard to see. Everyone on the outside of the fishbowl can see it, but how does the fish even know what water is? In any given group of people, whether it's a whole country, a Fortune 500 company, a mom and pop shop, or your own family, Culture is the byproduct of the norms and standards for what gets celebrated, what gets encouraged or discouraged, and what gets rewarded. So that means if you're the boss, you're creating culture every day by virtue of the feedback, encouragement, and direction you give your team. Project leader acts like a jerk to the support staff and still gets plum assignments. Well, that's feedback, creating an understanding among your team about acceptable behaviors, but to put a finer point on it, I like to think of culture as the default mode. What do people revert to if there are no customers in the room, if the boss isn't looking? What are the standard operating procedures, written and unwritten, that become so ingrained that we perform those motions in our sleep? You know you've built a strong culture when frontline employees and executives all behave, not talk, but behave in the same way. And so just to a note about the culture before we kind of jump in here, which is that, you know, we've all probably worked some pretty toxic places in our career. I know I have. Um, they have a culture too, 
It was just a nasty culture, a demeaning culture, right? So there's no such thing as a place that lacks culture, just like there's no one who does not have an accent. We all speak with an accent. So step one in creating an impact culture is to be purposeful about it because there's a culture one way or another. So today, my guest is a master of creating culture, and I'm so excited for you to meet him and hear his stories. A native of Washington, D.C. and graduate of St. Peter's University, Dante Johnson began his career in hospitality in 2001 with Kimpton Hotels and Restaurants and held several positions, including concierge, director of guest services, revenue manager, and assistant general manager. In 2008, Johnson was the youngest employee ever promoted to general manager for the company. He's since served in this capacity at six properties across four cities, including his hometown of Washington, Miami, Baltimore, and his current home, Atlanta, where he has served as the general manager at the mansion-like beautiful property, the Thompson Buckhead, since April 2023. Um, As GM, Dante is responsible for overseeing and executing commercial strategy and hotel operations. Throughout his career, Johnson has developed and fostered a mission focused on social impact, working with his team and local leaders to support the community and a variety of philanthropic efforts inside and outside of the walls. Among the many programs and initiatives he led in Baltimore during the coronavirus pandemic, just to give you a flavor of the kinds of things that Dante originates with his team. They orchestrated free lunch and produce distributions to support those in need. They offered the hotel's restaurant space and kitchens to local food businesses. They provided free or discounted overnight stays for first responders first responders and, and frontline hospital workers. And they partnered with dozens of entrepreneurs, including BIPOC, women, LGBTQ+, local suppliers, to offer an expansive array of products and services at their hotel. This was ongoing, not just during the pandemic, actually. You guys had that uh, nailed down from way before them. He's received numerous awards for his work, uplifting community, and serves as a mentor to students, to his team members, and to many colleagues across the hospitality, and I'm lucky to call myself one of those people. One more thing, Dante is a social media rock star, having racked up literally billions of views for his partners and his properties thanks to his social impact work. So Dante, welcome to Socially Responsible Business. Thank you so much, Sharon. It's uh, it's great to join you. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, I've been looking forward to this since I, you know, decided to do this show because so many of your stories are so memorable to me that I, you know, listeners, you've probably heard three or four of Dante's stories already. You just didn't know it was Dante. So see if you can spot it when he tells them and say, I've heard that before. But I want to start by talking about the normal culture of hospitality, and I mean normal in in two ways, sort of what is standard practice and what is considered normal in appearance and behavior. So tell us about your experience coming up in the industry as a young black man in Washington, D.C. It's a a great question. I think a great way to to start the conversation. Um, So I studied journalism uh, in school, so I'm technically not even supposed to be here. And when I first came home, I didn't have any uh, any connections in the industry. And so I was really more so looking at how I would just start my life. Uh, and, and, and so I had an aunt who 
uh, who worked in a hotel. And after a summer of interviewing for jobs with no connections or uh, having done no internships because I was working three jobs to pay my way through school, uh, my aunt recommended that I look at getting a job at a hotel. And so she goes, just work at the front desk. You know, you're nice enough. You're smart enough. People like you. You should just you know work at the front desk of a hotel. And so I thought it was a good idea. Started putting in applications and uh, and scheduling interviews. And so my very first interview in the industry um, was I was at a hotel at a front at the front desk of a hotel or for the front desk of a hotel. And the manager came out, uh, looked at me, uh, saw my hair, and went back in the office. And then told the gentleman at the desk to let me know that they would call me back. They had to reschedule. Something came up. And so I had a friend who happened to work at that hotel, which is who I was referred by. And so I called his friend. I go, look, you know, you know, I've got a few months to get out of my auntie's house. She gave me a strict deadline. I've got to get myself sorted out. Um, I need a job. You know, what happened with the interview? No one ever called me back. You know, can you look into it and let me know? And so she told me that I didn't meet the hotel's grooming standards. And so... Uh, they weren't going to interview me for the job. And I can remember feeling really nothing at all about it. I had been told for a long time that I would have a tough time entering into corporate spaces, um, you know, looking authentically the way that I, that I looked. And so it just to me was, a, was an industry that I checked off. And I said, all right, I guess I'll just have to find something else to do. And it just so happened that I had another interview already scheduled for Kempton. And so... Proactively, I reached out to them and said, listen, I don't want to waste your time. If uh, if my hair is an issue, then we should, I don't want to, you know, you should interview someone else and I should you know, find another job to interview for. And I can remember the guy just sort of going, well, you know, let's just see what happens. You know, come on in. And I was like, you know, I'll take let's just see what happens <laughs> over. Uh, we'll reschedule an interview and never call you back any day. And so I went in, I met with them, um, had a great conversation. And they called me back and said, hey, um, how about being a bell attendant? And I can remember thinking, you know, I have nothing against that job, but if I'm going to be out on my own for the first time as a whole adult, uh, I need to know this is exactly how much I'm going to make if I work 40 hours in a week. And so I was hesitant to take a tip position, so I declined it. And then they called me back the next day and offered me the front desk position. But it, it sort of gave me a feeling right away that um, that the space wasn't fully ready for, for me to enter it as my authentic self. Well, and since you all cannot see Dante, let me tell you that the man is immaculately dressed, groomed, <laughs> what, does not have a hair out of place. So the, the you know, incongruousness of that comment um, for the human being that I see is is obvious and disturbing. Uh, you know, we have about one minute um, before the break, and I just want to fast forward to where you and I met um, when you were general manager of a boutique hotel in Baltimore. How did you end up taking that position? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because growing up in D.C., we didn't really spend a lot of time in Baltimore. And so I had actually decided to take a break. Uh, I, had a, I have a son who's now nine, but at the time he was four and wanted to play soccer. And I had never in my life kicked a soccer ball. And so I thought, you know, I'm gonna take a break from work, uh, take three months off and teach my son soccer, which uh, of course didn't go according to plan. (laughs) And so I went up, looked at this hotel just on a whim and fell in love with the purpose uh, as much as the property. 
And we will talk about that purpose and what made that property special here uh, when we get back. You're listening to Socially Responsible Business. I'm your host, Sharon Schneider, talking with Dante Johnson, GM of the Thompson Buckhead Hotel in Atlanta, about building an impact culture. Stay with us. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. If you're a business owner who wants to use the power of free enterprise to not just help yourself and your own family, but your employees, your community, and the world at large, then tune in to Socially Responsible Business. Host Sharon Schneider, a serial entrepreneur and impact advisor to some of the world's most prominent families, will help you uncover all the ways you can succeed financially while using your business as a force for good. Every show will include practical ideas and tools that you can implement right away. And it's not about spending more money. It's about thinking and spending differently. Socially Responsible Business, hosted by Sharon Schneider. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Anyone can learn the keys to success from podcasts, TED Talks, and other forms of media. But what you really don't learn is the failures that lead up to that point. Join David Chavez on the Strategy Sherpa Show as he and notable business leaders have that discussion and teach you how valuable it is to learn from your failures. The Strategy Sherpa Show, Mondays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Socially Responsible Business with Sharon Schneider. Have a question for Sharon or her guests? Email her at Sharon at theintegratedlife.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Socially Responsible Business. I'm your host, Sharon Schneider. We're talking today about creating a culture of impact, and we're going to hear some fantastic examples and stories and guidance from my guest, Dante Johnson. GM of the Thompson Buckhead Hotel in Atlanta. So before the break, I just sort of briefly cued you up to talk about Hotel Revival in Baltimore and how you ended up there. I'd love for you to describe it in general, like what was your mandate uh, in that hotel and how did you think about executing against it? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think um, it, we sort of quickly got from not really feeling fully welcomed in the industry so now I'm running a hotel, which, you know, there, there's a lot of experiences between those two points. Uh, a lot of times where the hair thing comes back up again, you, you can't be the GM of a hotel with locks down your back. Um, and I just remember being really persistent and really stubborn in that then I just won't progress in the industry. And I was fully willing to sort of, you know, let my career stall if it meant that um, I had, I'd have to be somebody different than I was. And it was a hill I was willing to let my career die. Um, you know, Kempton was a great place to sort of grow through that. And 
And so having done it at that point and been a GM at multiple hotels, um, yeah, I fully planned to take a few weeks, a few months off, like I said. Revival was something that was so interesting to me that it sort of pulled me off the sidelines. And so in my initial interview for the job, which was a very typical interview up until the very end, where the question came up, what are your thoughts about social impact? And I remember being obsessed with that on the plane ride back to D.C. because I'd never been asked that question before and never expected to be. And so it was in a moment of real honesty, I said I could talk about this for longer than you probably have. And I talked about a lot of things that I felt like were wrong in the world. And so the the mandate at that hotel was to orient the business towards social impact, which ultimately is how we end up having this conversation right now. And I think the way that we executed against that was really sort of fast and loose in a lot of spaces. I think we we really focused on on building something that was authentically purposeful and and knowing that positive outcomes would come from that. And we always, and at least in my mind and, and in my directives to the team, we sort of worried about the business part later because we really believed that that stuff would come. And so what I would say to people to sort of free them from the responsibility of constantly bringing up, well, how does this, how does this have an, a discernible ROI is let that be my job. Like, let's protect our ability to ideate and be creative and be purposeful and just know that I want to prove a thing that doesn't have value. So you don't have to worry about that. And that became sort of the way that we oriented our approach. And, you know, I remember the first time I I visited you in the hotel and you were telling me some of the stories about, you know, individual things you'd done in the community. And what struck me was that you did not look at every one of those opportunities. Like, oh, we did a partnership with this nonprofit to have an event. And, oh, we did. It was not transactional in that you didn't say, well, we did this and we got this much food and beverage revenue and, you know, it, it um, resulted in this many dollars to the, it was more like exactly what you said, that the dollars will come once, but, but we're doing the right thing and building a base. And I thought that that was really important because it can feel very inauthentic if you're so focused on immediately measurable outcomes. Okay. But then I also say, I was the one who came in and was like, <laughs> you're laughing. We're laughing because Dante and I really like each other and like love working together. And also I was the one that came in and said, okay, but what are the metrics? Like, how are we going to know if our theory is that the social impact is improving the business results. How are we going to know that that is the case? Because our our goal was always not just to have a beautiful, perfect little oasis, right. but to prove to the rest of the industry that social impact is, as I said in the opening, not a cost center, but a profit booster. So how are we going to do that? And so that became, you know, a lot of our discussion was like, we don't want to be transactional. But we do, in the end, need to be able to demonstrate this is better, this is better, this has better results right. because of the social impact work that you were doing. Yeah, it's, um, it, it is really interesting when you start to piece it out because a lot of what we were doing was rooted in really an understanding of how business is done today. And I think to go back to the piece about talking about what's normal about hotels or how do hotels normally operate, there's so much of what we do that's been sort of to use a term grandfathered in because we've always done it this way. And, you know, most businesses, most enterprises that were born later than the idea of a hotel 
are just way more nimble than us. And so when you look at how uh, how really fast paced startup environments work today, if you said, well, using all the resources that we have and everything that we know, how would we tackle these problems? A lot of those solutions are rooted in things that are not organically in hotel environments. So when you talk about supplier diversity, as an example, well, we've built a massive infrastructure that gets us um, really good products at the lowest possible price. But does that road toward the best possible outcome for the environment where we do business? And aggregated across multinational corporations, yes, that creates really strong outcomes. But Financial, it, financial outcomes. Financial outcomes, for sure. But does that, does that make the community where we do business stronger? And if we could partner with, uh, with a, a coffee company that's based in Baltimore where we do business and work with them to get to a price point that's within reach, and bring that into the environment and give our customers the opportunity to understand the, the decision that we made and why we made it, um, betting on them and betting on the fact that we know that today's consumer is more informed, better informed, and more intentional than any consumer who's ever lived, then we give ourselves an ability to, to leverage what we know to be true about the current environment that hasn't always been the case. And you mentioned the the vendors and the coffee. You had a couple of others where it was like, hey, we're using these consumable products. Why shouldn't we source from, you know, local, which often then also meant BIPOC entrepreneurs yep. in um, in the Baltimore area. One right. of my very favorite stories about your sourcing is uh, about toilet paper. <laughs> Tell us about Laura Tush. Yeah, so we... By this point, we had gotten to a place where most of the team understood what we were trying to do. And so we, we had we had sort of a direction. We had a North Star, but we didn't we still didn't have a roadmap yet. And I don't even know if we still do at this point. But but folks knew what we were, what we were looking to, to accomplish. And so I think by this point, we had built a bit of a reputation. People believed in what we were trying to do in the city. And so a lot of things that were really hard in the beginning, finding suppliers to support became really easy because people would start to find us. And so uh, Jason Bass, who, who's on our team as the director of culture and impact at that hotel, um, is also sort of on the cutting edge of everything new and exciting in the world. And so he's constantly trying to convince me to do things that I know aren't the best decisions, like <laughs> buying e-bike. And so he, he had a whole soapbox speech about why I should get one. I didn't. But he had this e-bike and just reached out into the Baltimore community where he knows everybody and said, hey, I want to start an e-bike gang. So someone makes a connection, an introduction to him and a lady who he's never met, and they meet up to figure out whether they want to be e-bike buddies and realize they have tons in common. So he comes back to work the next day and says, hey, um, I know we want to support local BIPOC vendors. Uh, I think I may have found one for us, a sustainable toilet paper company. And to me, that was the most explosive idea ever. <laughs> so I go, I got to see this. And so he's like, great, she's coming by today. And so Nandigi from Lord Tush comes by the hotel with a really jazzed up pink and black e-bike, parks it out front, and we have a conversation about toilet paper. And she said to me that um, she wanted to bring a conversation about sustainability into the black community where she just didn't hear a lot of that. And she thought the best way to do that is through a consumable product. And so she looked at a bunch of different options and decided on bamboo toilet paper. And so I told her, I love this idea. If you can show me 15,000 rolls of toilet paper, I'll buy them all today. And so this is pre-pandemic. I'm thinking, well, we've got plenty of storage space. It's toilet paper. It's not going to go bad. So we went to her uh, her warehouse, which is a few blocks away from the hotel. 
And it was a little modest, <laughs> I'll say. And so I asked her, you know, why'd you pick this particular warehouse? Because she certainly could have had better spaces. And she told me that she chose that warehouse because the the owners uh, give away unused or unrented units to people experiencing homelessness in the city. So they don't have to worry about where their belongings are, where they're out trying to find food. And I remember thinking, okay, you're one of us. Wow. <laughs> and so we're going to do whatever we can to to support you. So went up, I touched 15,000 rolls of toilet paper and we placed an order for a year's worth that day. My my recollection too is that her original price point was too expensive compared to that international infrastructure you mentioned that could deliver a roll of toilet paper for, I don't know, five cents. Let's say she was at <laughs> nine cents. And you, with the mindset and that you went in, you said, how do you get to five? Not, I can't work with you, but like, yeah. how do you get to that? What do you need? And that's how you ended up doing a year's worth because she yeah. used that to negotiate with her supplier. Yeah. We asked her what, you know, how do you, how do you get to the next price point down? And at this point and everything that we did at the hotel and what we continue to do, we do through a lens of trying to do something that's repeatable. And so people who don't care as much as we do can still do this and have a good reason to do it. And so if we were strictly looking at it as a capitalist, well, I'm not going to pay a penny more than I, than I have to pay. And I think inertia is a really powerful thing. So to change behaviors, there's got to be something compelling to get people to do it. Well, we sat down and we talked about it. And she said, well, I'd have to, um, I'd probably have to order half a million rolls. I was like, well, I'm not going to order half a million rolls of toilet paper. But if you went to them and said, I've got a contract with Hyatt who has hotels all over the place, um, well, then that gives you at least the end to be able to pursue something larger and maybe you get to half a million. And so she was able to negotiate that, which was great. And that ties into your success with the media. Yes. I mean, I think we, we started to become um, really adept at, at, at tying all this together and at presenting it to the world. And I think because we were doing something so unique, uh, so unfortunately unique, I will say, um, it became a really, really hot topic in the city. And then I think once the pandemic happened and George Floyd, I mean, the news cycle became so consumed with those things that um, offering anyone who, who's in charge of telling stories anything positive to talk about, uh, I think it was, it was like a light at the end of the tunnel for people. And, and I remember Jason talking about, wasn't, wasn't it on the Today Show? And then all of a sudden she got inundated with orders and you guys were literally hands-on in that warehouse helping her pack and ship orders of toilet paper, which, you know, gave you both incredible media attention that maybe either one would not have garnered on your own. Yeah, it was, we all watched it on FaceTime the morning, the CBS Saturday morning show aired and it's Jason and Nandigi. And I was very adamant that Jason needs to be the representative for the hotel, me. Um, and we watched it. And then I, I remember texting Jason later that day and saying, hey, has she seen any activity? And then he responded back, she had 1,465 orders. And so I go, I assume we're going to the warehouse to pack and, uh, and ship toilet paper. And he's like, yeah. And so, yeah, we, we met her at the, at the warehouse. We certainly didn't package 1,400 orders, but we did what we could. Um, and had a great time doing it. And it was, uh, it was, it was incredible. Yeah. I, it just, it just a amazing attitude of supporting this local entrepreneur um, instead of kind of going the quick and easy route. I love that. 
You're listening to Socially Responsible Business. I'm Sharon Schneider, and I'm talking with Dante Johnson, GM of the Thompson Buckhead Hotel in Atlanta, about building an impact culture. When we come back, we're going to talk more about creating culture both inside and outside the walls of your business. Stay with us. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Socially Responsible Business with Sharon Schneider. Have a question for Sharon or her guests? Email her at Sharon at theintegratedlife.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Sharon Schneider, your host, and we're talking today about creating a culture of impact with Dante Johnson, GM of the Thompson Buckhead Hotel in Atlanta. Dante, one thing that struck me so much about your original story about being sort of passed over or or perceived not to belong in the hospitality interest, you know, industry because of your hair is really about this company value of belonging. And how do you create a culture of belonging for everyone. And and Michael Snyder a few weeks ago shared with us some tips about how to create that culture in the context of meetings and offices and holiday celebrations. So if you haven't heard that episode uh, about the operations aspect of putting these things into practice, uh, go back and take a listen to that one. But Dante, tell us how you work to create a culture of belonging for both your team and your guests. Yeah, I think, um, and, and I've heard you on, on multiple previous uh, previous episodes talk about sort of seeing value differently, and and I think you know when you talk about someone who's you know sitting in the lobby of a hotel, nervous and suited and booted and ready for their interview, and being rejected without a conversation because of their hair, 
Um, you're talking about someone who just doesn't see value there. And I think belonging is directly tied to demonstrating that um, that value can exist in places that traditionally have been overlooked. And so for us, what that looked like was was showing up. And so I think there's people on our team who uh, who get to participate in the in the park cleanup. There's people on the team who you know have to work that day. It's a 24 hour day, seven day a week business. And so for us, I think there's people on the team who say, "Hey, you always do this thing on Sunday that I find to be really great, and I'm, I love that our team is doing that. It's part of why I'm so inspired to work here. But I can never go because Sundays are the busiest day in the cafe. And and when I hear comments like that, um, it it just sort of reinforces to me that there's a there's this sort of deep connection to the work that we do in the community, uh, whether people actually get to roll up their sleeves and get out there or not. And so I think about that through the lens of all of the decisions that we make in the business every day. Um, you know, not just the you know the, the school where we do mentorship, but how we approach you know to your point earlier the things that we celebrate. Um, I think people have become so accustomed to uh, to not being treated well, or or not feeling like uh, there's a uh, there's an investment in in what matters to them from the business that that anything over and above that feels unique. So, uh, you know, there's, I remember when I first got to this hotel, it was April of last year. And so we're going right into Cinco de Mayo, which is super festive at, in a lot of offices all over the place. And right on the other side of Cinco de Mayo, um, like it must've been May 6th <laughs> that I get asked, well, what are we going to do about Juneteenth? And you could see that it wasn't, it wasn't from a place of, you know, this is going to be a thing that's festive and, and celebratory. It's we're really worried about getting this wrong. Hmm. And we know that you can can help us to not. And my response to that question was, well, what do the other 130 people who work here want to do for that? Um, you know, I'm not the king of all things black. <laughs> I'm not the <laughs> spokesperson for, for the community. And I think that also um, people having a voice and having some influence over the outcomes and even the decisions that are motivated, uh, you know, through a capitalist lens, it should matter. It should matter, right? And I think traditionally the the our industry has been very, very focused on the guests as it should, right? The customer's always right. We heard that for years and years and years. And I think at some point we started to realize, you know, some customers don't behave well. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think, you know, if the customer is always right comes at the expense of what it feels like to show up here every day, then we're probably underserving um, one of our most critically important constituents. And the community as our employees, of, right? Yeah, our employees, correct. <clears throat> and 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 then to look at the community as sort of the fourth group of stakeholders, we never even get to that. It's like it's everything that we can do to 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 take care of the customers, um, you know, not be toxic to the to the people who work here. And, and return something compelling to the investors. The community, particularly in, a, in an industry where most of your customers come from out of town, what's happening up the street is the least of our concerns. It is such think, a it's such a low bar, Dante. It's it such is. a low bar. You just the way you just even said that, which is so true. It's like, could we just not be toxic <laughs> right. to our employees? That'd be that'd be awesome. And you know, one example of that that I loved. Um, I remember it, 
I remember one time I came to visit and I noticed a sign by the elevator talking about uh, the employee uniforms or lack thereof. How did that come about? Tell us about that policy and how that came about. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think, again, I mean, I think giving agency to the people who uh, who, who work in this space uh, is, is really what that was grounded in. But what happened was we, amongst a bunch of the bright ideas, we thought we should start doing merch. People love the hotel. Let's let them represent that love in the city. Uh, we started out with some T-shirts and hoodies. I love a good hoodie. Everybody knows this about me. And so we put out maybe three things, two T-shirts and a hoodie. And we realized that the lion's share of the sales were coming from the team. And so people were buying the hoodies or wearing them around the city. It became a recruitment tool because someone would walk up to someone on the bus and go, what's Hotel Revival? And they would go, oh, this is where I work. Oh, well, I'm looking for a job. Oh, you should come with me and I'll refer you to the hotel. And so it became this really beautiful thing. And then we realized, well, if they love them so much, why would I put you in a suit when what you really love is is to be able to, to represent not only us, but yourself from a style perspective. And so we said, well, well what would happen? Like, let's just see what happens if if we just didn't force people to not uh, to not wear the, the Revival merch. And more people bought the merch, uh, more people you know, uh, wore it both inside and outside the building. And then people started wearing their own clothes. And I can remember having meetings about this and going, well, well well, what's the what's the possible negative impact of this? Someone wears something crazy, and then we just tell them not to do that again. And but the but the on the flip side of that, the upside is people feel great and they look great. And I think if we can trust the team to do the right thing and let them know, listen, this is an investment of trust. If you if you go outside the guardrails, then we gotta we gotta roll it back. And I think people took that responsibility to the ecosystem very seriously, and nobody wanted to mess it up for everyone else. So people were very intentional about uh, about what they wore. Ironically, when I interviewed for this job, um, the the owner stayed at at the hotel at Revival the night before my interview, <laughs> and he shared with me that you know, amongst a bunch of observations that he had, that he spoke to a lady at the front desk at checkout, and she was wearing a Snoopy sweatshirt that said, "We're all better off together." And he asked her about the sweatshirt, and she said, "You know." the team, the leadership team at the hotel really believes in allowing us the space to to be our authentic selves. And so we think that positive messages like this add something great to the guest experience. And I was like, I just could not have scripted that response to anybody. That's a, right. You're like, thank you. Here's your, <laughs> here's your bonus. Well, you know, you, you said something a little earlier that, that reminded me of that as well, which is when you met um, Nandagi at the at the warehouse and heard the story about, you know, housing possessions for homeless people, she said, oh, she's one of us. And you had that same experience on the flip side with your employees who became exactly as you were describing those ambassadors for you that, uh, you know, there was a uh, I remember someone came to you and and said, hey, I've got somebody maybe for our, our management training program. Yeah, he's one of us. And and that like identity that they, what does that mean? One of us, like that says more than a job application ever could. And and them looking out for other like-minded, culturally fit kind of folks. Yeah. Um, and hey, that's got to reduce your recruiting costs, right? 
Our recruiting costs went down, I want to say, over the two years that we were measuring it, 65%. And what, and our time to fill up in positions was, uh, was incredibly short. Uh, most of the leadership positions that we filled during the pandemic were filled, the new person started before the old person left. Uh, yeah. And so there were people who were waiting on the sidelines, people who were bringing their friends to the, to the doorstep of the hotel, saying, you don't understand why, but you need to work here. Uh, trust me on this. You'll thank me later. Yeah. And, so, and, and, you know, the other, the other thing, that story about the, the employee in the Snoopy sweatshirt to me really shows is, you know, we talk about one of the mottos for the impact work was like, how do you communicate it to your, your guests? Because we don't want to shout from, Hey, we're a socially responsible hotel. We are, you know, um, a socially responsible business. We said show don't tell. And, and so communication to your guests, you know, really became about the actions and as every employee as an ambassador, um, right. how did you communicate to guests in, in a way that felt authentic to you? Yeah, we, we, talked about, we talked about this quite a bit. And I think it became like another exercise in trust. And I think trust is the, the through line that, that connects all of these things. We felt like if we, if we put in front of people what we're authentically doing, and if our track record is impeccable, we always show up. Uh, then people would would understand that we're doing it for the right reasons. So we don't have to say that we're here for social impact. We're saying we're investing in diverse suppliers. We don't have to say that we're here for uh, for to make the community better. We're saying we're going to show up at this park. Come join us because kids should not have to play on a, on a playground with drug needles. And I think over time people started to realize the why. They see the um, they see the the common thread through everything that we're doing, and and they recognize that. Uh, I think the you know, the interesting thing about the the one of us comment was that the the only you were talking about for the management trainee program. First of all, we didn't have a management trainee program; <laughs> so we built it for her. Uh, but also, she had never worked in a hotel before, and by this point, the team fully understood that we were always going to err on the side of a cultural fit. It's better to, for us to find someone who's aligned and take this transferable skills that they have and find something valuable for them to do than to go out and find someone who's been doing this job for 20 years in an environment that may not be aligned with what we're looking to do. Yeah. And I, I love that version of cultural fit because so often it's that's actually used to exclude people that are different right. from you. But because what your culture was, was more about the values of, you know, um, social impact, supporting everybody, showing up as yourself, it actually was really expansive and, and allowed for a huge um, diversity. And I feel like I remember, you know, uh, you also had just going back to the to the uniforms, it was sort of where would you want, but then there was a pin. And the sign that I remember seeing by the elevator said like, hey, you'll see our employees get to show up as themselves and you can identify them by seeing this pin. So as you said, your conversations are not just, it's a free for all, everybody do. You have to solve the problems of the business, but 100%. you do it within the, con the consistent decision-making framework and context about allowing people to show up and, and be accepted and belong. Brilliant. Well, you're listening to Socially Responsible Business. I'm your host, Sharon Schneider, talking with Dante Johnson, GM of the Thompson Buckhead Hotel in Atlanta, about building an impact culture. 
When we come back, we're going to talk about the challenges and dare I say failures that Dante has experienced and learned from so that you don't have to. Stay with us. A little birdie told me Voice America is on X. Follow us at Voice America TRN. How do you cultivate braver, more daring leaders? And how do you embed the value of courage in your culture? How do you take charge of your life and achieve your goals and bring about positive changes that propel you forward? On The Leader's Edge, join your hosts, Steve and Ernie, as they bring a mix of insights in personal and leadership growth that shapes your culture and the culture around you. Lean in and learn intentionally how to accelerate into your next best life. Tune into The Leader's Edge with Ernalita DeCumos and Steve Steele, Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. In the cacophony of modern leadership, where uncertainties loom large and the pace of change is relentless, the need for conscious leadership has never been more crucial. Let's embark on a journey to explore the essence of conscious leadership, unraveling the threads that weave resilience and empathy into the fabric of influential leaders. Tune in to Conscious Leadership Conversations with Claudia Ferryman, Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Socially Responsible Business with Sharon Schneider. Have a question for Sharon or her guests? Email her at Sharon at TheIntegratedLife.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Socially Responsible Business. I'm your host, Sharon Schneider. We're talking today about creating a culture of impact and hearing some fantastic examples and stories from my guest, Dante Johnson, GM of the Thompson Buckhead Hotel in Atlanta. Before we we move on to some of the hard lessons learned, I just want to make sure we talk a little bit about your efforts to connect with the neighborhood that was around your hotel. You mentioned a park cleanup, but give us some examples of interacting outside the four walls of your building. Yeah, we we used to, and actually still say we we want to run a hotel without walls. And so um, what that means succinctly is we, we want the best of, what's happening outside the building to feel like what's happening inside the building. And, and so, you know, a healthy business in an unhealthy community is, is an outcome that we find to be unacceptable. So we, you know, we discovered that there was an elementary school that may have been 10 blocks away from the hotel um, where there were indeed, you know, drug needles on the playground. And, you know, we, we know, and we were always grounded in the fact that we're not here to solve everybody's problems. But, you know, a, a playground cleanup once or twice a month is a thing that we can absolutely manage. 
So we deploy that as a as a volunteer time off opportunity for our team. You come, you help us clean up this playground for a few hours. You get three hours of PTO. Everybody wins. Um, we take our first tour of the school and they show us a kitchenette space. And the kitchenette space has like a washer and dryer in it from like the Leave it to Beaver era. It's the oldest. Uh, Avocado green, maybe. <laughs> right. And so they explained to us that um, the faculty washes the students' uniforms in this kitchenette space so they don't get bullied because a lot of the students don't have the ability to do laundry at home. And so we're saddened and inspired at the same time. Um, we have a relationship with Lowe's, a great relationship with Lowe's, a great friend of mine uh, is an executive with that company. We don't know how to solve this problem like a lot of the problems we encounter, but we just reach out into the, into the community. And if the community has a solution, then we try and facilitate and be the connective tissue. So Lowe's was really supportive with this. They go, all right, we're aligned. We also agree that this is unacceptable. Um, we're going to send up a team. And so they sent up a team. One guy was from Virginia. One guy is from North Carolina. They sent, they come up with construction drawings. We're looking at this like, yeah, it sounds good. We, I don't, I don't know how to do any of this. So whatever you're willing to do, we're happy with. Uh, and they renovated the space. And so we showed up with our sweatpants and t-shirts ready to paint a wall. And they're like, no, no, you guys go do the interviews. We'll take care of this part. And so they kind of tossed us to the side and, uh, and renovated that space for the school in a neighborhood where they don't have a store. And then they went back to Virginia and North Carolina and uh, we sent them the news clips and said, thank oh, you. For I don't think I even realized they were they were from out of town and came in just for that. That's they an did. incredible you know, power of the draw of your business network is something that you can draw on, um, you know, as an asset to complement your your own social responsibility efforts inside your walls. I love that yeah. example. And it's like I wouldn't I wouldn't normally ask I, I wouldn't ask a customer who's staying at the hotel. I wouldn't ask a guest, hey, help us go clean up the school. But I think once people start to realize that that's what you're about, again, a lot of those things sort of organically come your way. And so when someone goes, hey, listen, I want to be there right beside you. It means a lot. This is why I want to do business with you. Uh, let us know when you're doing a thing. That first call is like, all right, here's the thing you asked for. And then depending on what their reaction and what their response is, uh, it, it lets you know how to engage on the other side of that. And a and lot of a lot of those lines become blurred and customers and suppliers become friends and uh, co-conspirators as you go off into the community to do the work. And so it becomes a great thing. And then at some point in the future they have to hold a meeting or an event or they're organizing a conference and need to designate a hotel. And so I think that that, you know, again, there may be a, a time lag, but one of the things we opted to measure was group bookings um, right. as opposed to like an individual business traveler who might just be coming to that neighborhood and have no idea. It wasn't that we said, well, how are we affecting, you know, that? It was more like, hey, compared to our peers, our right. reputation and our good kind of work in all of these spaces should result in people who appreciate that giving us business in this what in this particular space in like group nights. Yeah, and we you know, we talked a lot about the machine that we were building, you know, and, and you know theoretically. And I think the other thing is, well, how well are we doing the storytelling around this? So the PR effort helps to stimulate that booking funnel uh, at the top and create opportunities. The sales team understanding and being equally as excited about these things. And the first time I walked into the sales office with a roll of toilet paper, they looked at me like I was crazy and said no one would care. And then their clients started coming to them asking about toilet paper. 
and they realize, oh, this might help me get to my goal more quickly. And, and then on the other side our- of that, they, they start to, you know, feel something attached to it, and then it becomes something different. I just want to make sure that before we run out of time, we get to mention your current property. So you left in 2023 uh, for an incredible opportunity at your current property, the Thompson Buckhead in Atlanta. And I would just, you know, when you and I have talked, one of the things that you sort of mentioned to me is that in many ways, revival was a blank slate and you were able to build out culture in a different way than coming into your current property. So what what would you say you have learned or what advice would you have for people coming in where there's a team and a culture already in place? Yeah, and I think we, we alluded to sort of things that things that, that we that we learned from from the last from the last place. Um, I think in a lot of ways we moved too quickly. And I think we assumed that buy-in for a specific thing meant buy-in for all the things. Mm. And, that, and that's absolutely not the case. And so I think there's a lot of folks who can get down with the idea of cleaning up a park who don't want you to bring um, underserved young people into the org chart and have to work alongside them. Because they may have had experiences with those young people in the city that make that feel like something that they're not comfortable with. And so I think that part of it was was something that I'm, I'm very thoughtful and intentional about the speed of of the cultural adoption here and just mindful of where we are in that journey because it's it might be year five in the work for me but it's it's month one for somebody and we have I'm to making sure to they see that bigger picture of sure. of the overall vision rather than a series of disconnected or what seemed to them disconnected decisions well so for people listening today uh, thinking about what's the next right thing that I can implement in my business to start building an impact culture. What advice would you give them? I think you, the advice I would give is is to to bet on people, and I and I, I know it's not always safe to do that. The outcomes aren't always positive. Uh, you will not bet a thousand, but I think you'll you'll be right more often than you'll be wrong. And I think true, you know, truly powerful and compelling cultures are always built through a lens of, of betting on the people involved. And you mentioned your fondness for hoodie. I feel like your social media handles are like the hoodie hotelier, right? Tell us where we can find to follow yeah. you and learn more and, and keep up with all of your amazing work. Uh, Instagram, it is the hoodie hotelier. It's, it's a, uh, there's a long story. We don't have time for today. DantePJohnson.com <laughs> um, is my personal website. Uh, Dante P. Johnson on LinkedIn are probably the three best places to to keep tabs on on what's happening next. Well, lucky me, I get to keep tabs and stay in touch with you um, and always enjoy the conversation. So I cannot thank you enough for being my guest. Thank you all for listening today. I hope you'll join us again next Monday and all the Mondays after that. You can bookmark the show at voiceamerica.com and on all the big streaming platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. And then you'll be reminded when new episodes are available. So um, as the kids say, like, smash that like button, subscribe today, leave a rating, um, help other people discover socially responsible business. So we'll be back uh, streaming live on the Voice America Network business channel next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific. Visit theintegratedlife.com for links to resources mentioned in today's show to find Dante and to buy your copy of Handbook for an Integrated Life. This is Socially Responsible Business. I'm your host, Sharon Schneider. See you next time. Thanks, Sharon. 
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Socially Responsible Business with Sharon Schneider. We hope we've given you some ideas of how your business can succeed while being a force for good. Until we talk again, visit www.theintegratedlife.com for resources to take a small but meaningful step today.